Welcome back, folks, to another episode of The Drift Space. I'll be your host for today. I'm proud to be your host for today. My name is Dave, and I am joined by G, who is proud that Dave is your host today. Full name. Proud the heck, eh? No, you're JR. Oh, you. Oh, sorry. <laughs> sorry, apparently I don't know my alphabet, because I'm JR. And I'm really excited we're doing this today. And I'm Rebecca. And I'm Rebecca. Who knows her uh-uh. alphabets? No, you're not Rebecca. Because you haven't you're taken over yet. You're the one who keeps stealing our podcast. <laughs> we keep in- invading her. Let's be real. <laughs> Slowly trying to take back control. This is really a feminist uh. podcast. She's just. <laughs> <laughs> oh god we're all about girl power here on the dress space <sighs> but but speaking of unlimited power today we're going to be diving into the star wars prequels i'm so excited <laughs> <laughs> it's finally my day <laughs> oh this is glorious for the folks at home we've been trying to record this for like the last couple weeks now and we're finally doing it so i'm just giddy (laughs) (laughs) anywho just getting things kicked off here depending on who you ask 21 years ago george lucas us gifted or cursed us with the beginning of our journey through the prequel era of star wars speaking of course with the first film the phantom menace 16 years of expectations, EU stories, video games, all leading up to that moment. This movie sparked some of the most divisive fandom opinions ever encountered. (laughs) (laughs) Very politely. The next two movies would prove to be just as divisive, if not more than episode one for the fans. Now, this era gives us the story of what happened before the oppressive totalitarian empire reigned supreme, much like Rebecca on our podcast, (laughs) when democracy was not just a distant memory, much like Rebecca on our podcast. (laughs) (laughs) I'm picking picking up a vibe here. When the Jedi numbered somewhere around 10,000 and not less than 100, when Anakin Skywalker was trained by Obi-Wan Kenobi, and we begin to see his descent into the dark side, the fabled Clone Wars and Galactic Cynic alluded to in A New Hope. What happened during this time? We find out all of these things and more. At any rate, for some, this era also gives us some of the most cringy wooden dialogue in cinema an unnecessarily biological explanation of the force, hammy acting, and just plain bad CGI. I am personally not one of those people, in case you didn't already know and haven't listened to our prior 12 episodes. Wow. Is it? Wait, have, have we? Wow. 
Okay, yeah, it has. Well, okay. what's, what's more impressive we is lost count. Dave's actually... Dave's actually found a way to slide in Star Wars on every single episode. So <laughs> you're welcome. <laughs> <laughs> but for me, I feel like these movies have aged pretty well. And I, I, regardless, today we're diving into the good, the bad and the ugly of the prequels. I have forced my compatriots here to view these movies and we're going to find out all about what they think including my own thoughts as well, without being stifled, hopefully. <laughs> anyway, so before we dive in, I think it's important to kind of set some context around how we all feel about Star Wars and the prequels in general. I'm obviously a huge Star Wars guy. So before getting into the prequels specifically, what does y'all's relationship look like with this franchise? Are you a casual fanboy, a selective fanboy fan girl do you even like it gee let's start with you yeah so i guess star wars by all accounts is something i should be in love with as much as you are dave because it, it, it you know it it has all the same kind of ticks that i like in in my franchises i think i'm i'm i definitely fall in the casual fan category i think the original trilogy the original films are this kind of weird masterpiece in a way, and I, I I mean weird in really the best kind of way. Uh, I thought I liked the fact that they were um, the first one, especially was low budget, and that they accomplished so much. There's a lot of resourceful filmmaking in there, uh, a lot of great ideas. My thing was that I I couldn't turn left without being smacked in the head by Star Wars as as I was growing up. Everyone right. everyone was into it. You know, it was it was the it was essentially the Starbucks version of uh, sci-fi adventure in that there were other coffee shops that I, I prefer, but Starbucks is on every single corner. You can't miss it. And and I was a little annoyed by that because I, I did find more value for myself in franchises like uh, Star Trek and Batman and Godzilla, of course, which is super niche. Um and so many other things at the time. I, I was really getting into like Jurassic Park was huge during this time when the Star Wars trilogy, uh, the special editions were being re-released in theaters. And yep. and and I, I went to see those movies almost begrudgingly, but I really did enjoy them. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I really did enjoy them. I, I just I was just the the over the topness of everyone else enjoying them was kind of. A turnoff. So I, I I went to the theaters. I enjoyed them. I left theaters, and then I I went back to my franchises. Essentially, now what's funny okay. in, in in that regard is by comparison, <laughs> I might be jumping ahead here, but I'll be quick. By comparison, when the Phantom Menace came out, I I didn't dislike it. Um, I was younger, but I I really didn't dislike it. I, I I enjoyed the movie. I enjoyed the you know the double lightsaber was a real turn on for me. But it was I have to admit it was very gratifying to see all my Star Wars friends uh, disappointed with it because whereas I you know <laughs> whereas I enjoyed it you know finally there was something that wasn't the Bible that had Star Wars on it to my friends and I I had to rub that in their faces a little bit even though I didn't mind it so much. <laughs> Some people just want to watch the, the world, world burn. burn, and I am one of those people. Right, right. So we do that, Godzilla. It's 
<laughs> Burning's true. kind of a quality in those movies. Yeah, absolutely. So that's it's kind of my my relationship with Star Wars up to the prequels. Okay. Now, Rebecca, what about you? Because I know that you also had to live with GJ through this. Do you share his opinion? Through the majority of it, yes, I kind of do. But th- there is another side to this. Uh, and before I go any further, I I just want to go ahead and say this. I'm not a complete Star Wars fan like you, Dave. I'm not. But I do respect and like the original episodes four or five six is that right okay good. yeah but i <laughs> i wouldn't go far as a saying that i'm a fan of star wars i i like and respect its originality its craft its story plots as well as life lessons i mean it's it, it's like uh i like the indiana indiana jones films but i'm not a complete fan of it but you know and for me personally, I'm not all that hyped up and fanatic about it like a lot of other fans. And that you're you're a general audience member. Yeah, pretty much. And yeah, yeah. you'll go see the movies. Yeah, and that's mostly the reason why I'm not a Star Wars fan is because of the extremities of certain Star Wars fan groups. In fact, um I visited a friend of mine back in my hometown several weeks ago and he loved Star Wars with all his heart and soul, but not anymore. And I asked, how come? How come? Why? Why don't you like Star Wars anymore? And he, he told me because the last movie they did, uh, The Rise of Skywalker, he told me in his words that the Disney company uh, succumbed to pressure of these fanatical Star Wars extremists. Uh, and the <laughs> I, don't, I mean, I, excuse me, I'm I'm sitting right here. <laughs> Sorry, Dave. Uh <laughs> I don't know how else to word it, but but these these so-called fans were the same ones that wrote threatening and racist comments to the actor Kelly Marie Tran, who played Rose Trico in The Last Jedi. And now I have not seen The Rise of Skywalker, but from what my friend told me, the character Rose was given a much smaller role and I was getting to like Rose. I thought she was smart, witty and had a decent story arc. But apparently her character never really went anywhere because that certain specific group of Star Wars fans didn't like her because of her race or gender. I don't know. So wait, 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 wait. We're going to talk about race and gender in a Star Wars movie (laughs) full of aliens that all look different. Hey, okay, get off your soapbox, nerds. (laughs) (laughs) these were my (laughs) i mean i didn't make the movies i didn't write them i i'm just saying what my friend said and uh so basically and not only crushed and not only crushed uh me that star wars would stoop to that low but it, it really broke my heart to see my friend who who has also been a defender of these prequels and held so much love and devotion to the originals it it just Broke my heart to see him betrayed by his childhood world like that. So I just want to reiterate, I'm not a Star Wars fan, but I respect the original. I love me some Mark Hamill, Harrison Ford, and Carrie Fisher. God rest her soul. I guess I have a question to all of this, uh, for, especially for you, Dave. How do you have so much faith in the Star Wars, despite some of its flaws and backlashes back 
past and present. And how do you keep the legend alive in your heart? Uh, number one, don't listen to the fans. Yeah, <laughs> the the Internet rewards negative criticisms. So those negative criticisms become exceptionally popular. And I, for a long time, I think, gee, you're you, you lived with me for a while. You know this. Like yeah. I was on board the prequel hater train. Like I feel like I was the conductor at some points. And a lot of that is because during that time, I mean, to be fair, the prequels have a lot in them that you can make fun of. But at that time, these movies, like I said, are some of the most divisive fandoms that you'll encounter in nerd culture. And there's a lot of negativity surrounding that. And people feed off of that negativity. And I just don't buy into that. I buy into the messages behind the Star Wars, behind the Star War. <laughs> and you know, speaking of the diversity and inclusion piece, like that's one of the core tenets of Star Wars. You look at the contrast between the Empire and the Rebels. The Empire is a Nazi-esque regime. They all look the same, basically. They all are dressed the same. They all, this is all, all the stormtroopers look the same. And then you contrast that with the rebels and they all look different. They all look different. And they, people have their theories as to why someone like Kelly Marie Tran didn't have a big, bigger role in it. And yeah, there was a big outcry behind her prominence in The Last Jedi. I don't necessarily agree with that, but there's there's messages behind the movies to take away the positive. There's positivity to take away from these movies and what these creators are trying to impart upon the audience. Why are we focusing on what the fans are saying these movies mean? Well, I would also just like to jump in here. I think it's important to remember, Rebecca and I, Dave, I hope you agree with me on this one. The the fandom is not the franchise. You know, the fans, you ask 100 fans how, what, what the perfect movie, what the perfect Star Wars movie, or, you know, any movie of any franchise is supposed to be, you're going to get probably 100 answers. And I think, I think it's more important to look at the film over the fans in, in many cases. And that, that sounded a little soapboxy, but like, it's a case of separating the films from the people, especially the, the negative people who like them. And you know, there's a lot of negative uh, people in the Godzilla franchise or the Star Trek franchise as well. But I don't let that hurt my enjoyment of those movies because I don't really like listening to any of them. Right. I definitely agree with that. The You know, you do have a lot of those toxic fans out there that introduce a lot of negativity and hate. And that's just contrary to everything that star wars represents I, I can't blame people for having passion for it i do think sometimes oh passion sure goes a little overboard but yeah yeah absolutely now transitioning a little bit jr i know that you've kind of recently been on a little bit of a star wars kick um getting into the clone wars and whatnot so I'm, I'm curious to hear what what kind of what your fandom kind of looks like right now so my fandom started when I was, I don't know, like probably 10, I would guess. And my cousin introduced me to, I think it was Return of the Jedi. And this is like at the front of the movie before I even saw bad guys. And he brought his toys over and he's like, all right, let's play with toys. 
And I immediately picked up Darth Vader and I go, I'm going to be this this guy. And he's like, oh, he's bad. And I'm like, cool, I'm going to be this guy. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) But I would say I'm kind of like an on and off fan because I do love the movies. I do love uh, the video games. I do love I love picking up everything about Star Wars, even though I'm not an uber fan. I'm I'm kind of one of these people that I enjoy. I'm I'm kind of like you, Dave. I enjoy world building, and anything that puts me within that world is all the more better. Like, right? I, I keep talking to you. I'm like, I got to go to Galaxy's Edge, and I got to get me a lightsaber because <laughs> that is like a physical connection to that world. I like just like Harry Potter. I want a wand. It, it, it's something physical I could grasp from that world. Yeah. So that's why I even have that Harry Potter Uber collection because it shows, you know, like diagrams of the school and it shows like uh, like even small little packages and uh, just drawings of how stamps and stuff should look in that world. So I enjoy the broad aspect, the broad world building in it. And like you said, I am getting into Clone Wars. I'm on as of recording this episode, I'm in like season three. Yeah, and it's it's really good. Uh, anybody that's not watched Star, uh, Clone Wars should definitely pick up Clone Wars. But I also want to say because we are having a discussion on how to handle this topic, I don't think if if you're defending the movies, I think you should defend the movies because Clone Wars came out and what what I'm saying here is they had a few good years to look at the franchise and say. Here are plot holes that we can fix within the time frame of that, which makes like world building and all that, which you get a better understanding. So uh, and my thing is you shouldn't use Clone Wars to defend the prequel movies because those came first. And then Clone Wars had the time to go back and fix some mistakes they made, if that makes sense. I'm going to disagree with the fixing aspect of it. I don't think there was necessarily things to fix. And we, we can get into that and talk about Clone Wars some other time, because I know that's not what this episode is about. But for me, at least, just keeping this brief here, what the Clone Wars did was that it gives us some of the best long form storytelling that we have in the Star Wars universe and expands on, like you said, the world building and developing the relationships and also exposing some of the more intricate layers of the prequel era. Mm -hmm. But again, this is a divisive franchise, folks. (laughs) (laughs) Friendships might be lost today. (laughs) That was Pacific Rim. (laughs) (laughs) We lost you. Now you'll lose us. We'll find each other again. In the drift. In the drift. In the drift. (laughs) Now, G, earlier you were talking about how everywhere was hitting you in the face with Star Wars stuff growing up. And the hype was seriously real back in 1997, 1998, 1999. You, you had the uh, the re-releases and then you all had the hype around Phantom Menace coming out. You, these movies were living on these EU novels and 
video games and people just talking about it. And finally, they're getting a story again from the man himself, the man that created this all back in the 70s. George Lucas had been dormant from the 80s from a Star Wars perspective, and now he is back 16 years later. Mark the return of a beloved franchise. So, gee, I get I get the feel that you were not on the hype train. Am I correct in assuming that? <laughs> I mean, no. Uh, my, I I am impressed that the franchise was continuing to make so much dough just based off these three movies. You know, I remember the whole Shadow of the Empire novel and video game coming out, and that was big and. Uh, of course, re-releasing the Star Wars movies, I seem to remember was part of this like larger plan of Lucas's to kind of gauge interest in the franchise to see if enough people were interested in him making prequels. And uh, the answer was yes. <laughs> <laughs> I just, uh, you know, it, it, it was it really for me, it was just, you know, if, if, if uh, more Star Wars movies get made, I'll go see them. That's fine. If they I, they never make another Star Wars movie again. I'm also not going to cry about it. it. It was just everywhere. People were bringing toys to school for show and tell, um, you know, source books with all the starships and what that didn't even make appearances in the movie. It was just everywhere. It was absolutely everywhere. And and I couldn't escape it. <laughs> What's the thing? You know, you mentioned 1997. I was all about, you know, like the Lost World Jurassic Park that year. Um, yeah. You mentioned 1998. I was all hopeful for a Godzilla, American Godzilla movie that let me down. Uh, in 1999, I was hyped about uh, Toho's return to the Godzilla franchise. Uh, you know, I, I was just focused. I was honing in on other things. But I do remember all the hype surrounding episode one. And I do remember uh, when I first saw it with some friends of mine. And, uh, you know, it was a fun movie. I enjoyed myself at the time. And life went on after that. <laughs> <laughs> I would venture to say that like the marketing we have not seen marketing this big for a movie since that time because this was absolutely massive it literally was everywhere you had to swim through it it was huge yeah i would argue the the age of that type of marketing is over we also saw marketing like that for the 1998 godzilla which i could make an argument was even bigger than episode 1 and I think episode one learned from the mistakes of that terrible movie to <laughs> pull back a bit. But I, I do agree marketing on the scale of 1990s blockbusters, uh, we, we haven't seen since then. It was huge. Yeah, yeah I, you couldn't walk down the street without seeing that poster of Anakin walking around the corner and Darth Vader being in the shadows. That that poster was everywhere, and it was an excellent poster. I mean, it was. It was yeah. a great poster. That I think that poster alone was the hype that got me to go see it. Then they got them Burger King toys. <laughs> I don't remember yeah, the but... Burger King toys. Uh, I think also the the hype surrounding the new villain Darth Maul. I mean, he was his face was plastered on every piece of merchandise. Yep. And then you hit the end of the movie. It's like, wait, wait, <laughs> <laughs> hold on. <laughs> That's it. I've been deceived. <laughs> Which I think I think enough time there's been enough time removed from all that that it, it doesn't bother me anymore. But at the time we we just expected, you know, this was the next Darth Vader, right? 
it wasn't the next Darth Vader at all. <laughs> I think I think that as a kid was the big letdown for me because yeah, he, like G said, we were expecting the next next Darth Vader, and it almost, for lack of a better term, from that point on, it became like a villain of the week kind of thing. It's like, oh, this movie is Darth Darth Maul. The other one is going to be um, Dooku. The next one's going to be Grievous. And, you know, it's we didn't get a solid, solid villain. We we heard and we saw glimpses of the Emperor in the background, but we didn't get like a solid ongoing villain like the original three. Well, I think that's because they were building up to it, like building up to Darth Vader because he is the all time baddie. Well, I know I understand that, but I'm just saying. Darth Vader was such a presence and a force eh, to be reckoned with in the original three movies that when we saw Darth Maul, we were like, oh, man, this is going to be good. And then it wasn't. (laughs) (laughs) He he wasn't half the man he used to be. Um. Half off sale at the mall. I think that joke's been running around for a few weeks now on Facebook or something. You know, <laughs> you know who hasn't been running around? Darth Maul. You know, I just I just realized his lightsaber was cut in half too. Which was the most brilliant part of that battle. I was like, cut the lightsaber in half. Right? This seems to be a lightsaber problem here. <laughs> so when Obi-Wan finally did that, I was just like, thank you. You've evened the playing field a little bit. Problem solved. <laughs> Obi-Wan learned from his mistake by cutting the lightsaber in half, so he cut Maul in half. But then he has two lightsabers. He lost Yeah, but he didn't use it. He didn't use it. (laughs) I'm just saying, like, if you cut somebody's lightsaber in half, then you have two. (laughs) But at any rate, Rebecca, you were about to jump in earlier. Did you have some thoughts on on the hype? Dave, I'm just here to sit back and learn and have you take over the ship, so... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> it's it's like you with you heard it okay. you heard it here Dave is now the new official host of the drift space Rebecca concedes <laughs> gracious of her that's very gracious of her Rebecca do you even remember <laughs> the hype leading up to the movie which one okay. <laughs> I was about to say I was like <laughs> gladiator which <laughs> a beautiful mind so- <laughs> I mean, there's more than one. Uh, okay, uh, so episode one, um, it just took its time. It, t- trying to be very conservative and nice as much as I can be, it just took it just took its own time. Like it dragged on and on and on. Like that racing scene was when they first met Anakin. It was. There was just a bit too much of that. And also when Liam Neeson got stabbed by Darth Maul, it took Obi-Wan to like a good 15 or 20 minutes to finally kill Darth Maul and then to check on Liam Neeson. I mean, he he was impaled. I think he would have been gone for the next uh, 15 seconds. Yeah, uh, 15 seconds. But uh, because, I mean, also Jar Jar Binks... um, <laughs> we have an entire discussion planned on we, Jar Jar we have Binks. a topic note for that hold on 
okay, I'll okay, I'll leave that on you. <laughs> but I will tell you what I liked about episode one. Well, I mean, it it's in a way it kind of did seep into my creative conscience to help me create my very own racer for Deviant Arts Radical Racer Challenge contest. That. It does look very elongated. It has a very pod racer feel to it. Yeah, yeah. I was yeah, I, I was originally trying to make it like a, a chariot like the in the Roman gladiator era, but uh I think somewhere in my head I may have gotten Star Wars the Phantom Menace stuck in there somewhere. But uh I was so wizard. But, <laughs> <laughs> so, but that that's um yeah, but that that's all I have for episode one. <laughs> okay, well we can get we can get into some of those details. It sounds like you didn't have an entirely positive experience rewatching these prequels, but you know we all because we all went through watching these prequels again. I loved the ride. I do rewatches of this on a fairly on a not infrequent basis. We'll say so. Jr. When you were rewatching these flicks. How did it go for you? Uh, how long had it been since you'd last watched it? And did you see it any differently now? Yeah, but I hate saying this. I saw it differently because I watched a few episodes of Clone Wars. Okay. Uh, now, there's an argument that you you had about, like, when I was saying how much I dislike Anakin in, what is it, Attack of the Clones. And you're like, good, you're not supposed to like him. I'm like, that doesn't really make sense to me. But... I saw it. I saw it a tad differently. I mean, there, there's still there's a scene in episode one where I'm pretty sure the background of the fight is the Windows desktop from Windows ninety eight of the Rolling Hills. <laughs> Somehow we've managed to bring screensavers into this episode too. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, it, they're they're enjoyable movies. There's there are things I would change about them, but they're okay. they're still enjoyable movies. I I think. Where it hurts me the most is that we went from episode one to episode two and we got a brief, very brief description of Dooku and the rolling text. And then we're supposed to uh, we're supposed to just be like, okay, this is the new bad guy. And then in episode from episode two to episode three, we got a very brief description of General Grievous. And we're like, oh, we're supposed to accept this guy's the new bad guy. And my problem is I need more. I need more information about that. We got we got all we really need to know about Darth Maul being uh, the emperor's apprentice in episode one, because you always saw him in the background and he's always next to the emperor. So we just kind of connected those things. But once once episode two starts rolling, we're like, OK, Dooku's the new bad guy. And then like. Two minutes later, Mace Windu goes, oh, yeah, he used to be a Jedi. And you're like, what? I need I need more explanation here. What? You know, it's, it's just I needed more information about the villains. Like, here's another good example. Do you remember the animated Clone Wars? And I'm not talking the new one uh, that just came out. I'm talking the like. Pre- the original ones on C- Cartoon Network yes. that were the the a- anim- more anime esque. Yes. Okay. Yeah. I didn't watch those, but I saw this one episode where Windu was fighting Grievous, and I was like, "Holy crap! This is amazing!" And then in that episode, Windu crushes his windpipe, and that's where he starts coughing. I'm like, "Oh, 
that's why he's coughing. And then they're like, oh, by the way, this one's not canon. Like, screw you guys. <laughs> like, I want to know more about Grievous. Why is he half machine? Why is he half mortal man? Or not man, but mortal being. I'm just saying, this is why I don't really latch on to the prequels. I need more information about these people to actually get invested. Okay. Okay. Yeah, I, I can concede to, uh, to that we don't really get... Like these villains just kind of pop up out of nowhere. It works for me personally, but at least you get what I'm laying yeah. down. Yeah, I mean, it's a it's a that doesn't work for everyone. And if it doesn't work for you, it doesn't work for you. Like Grievous, we don't know where Grievous is. Grievous is around during Attack of the Clones. We just don't know where mm-hmm. because he's trained by Count Dooku as an assassin, basically. And then we get to see what that actually looks like finally in Revenge of the Sith. So I'm no no one really knows, at least not to my knowledge, of where, where Grievous is during the events of Attack of the Clones. And I think his I, I'm again, because after the after the great Disney purge of content, the great Disney canon purge yeah. of all the EU stuff, I'm not sure what's canon. I, I'm not sure. I, I can't remember if this part's canon or not, but I thought that Dooku might have actually done that to Grievous himself. See, th- yeah, that's another thing, because there's an episode in the Clone Wars where Dooku and Grievous are talking about that. And I was like, OK, this is cool. I want more information on it. Please give me more information. And then it doesn't. Well, I think that's where a lot of the other comics and books and other stuff come in which i don't think i don't think it's fair to tell people like oh you want to learn more about that then you just have to do the research like but that's what you have to do well and this is this is kind of where i have a love-hate relationship with star wars now because what's canon and what's not you know like you said anything before 2014 is not canon that doesn't help me though because there's so many like good stories out there. I'm like, why can't this be canon? There's, well, they're pulling from legends now. That's how they get some of these. I mean, they're, they're not necessarily not canon. They're just called legends. They're they're myths and they have to re- rely on storytellers post 2014 to actually canonize them. Like Darth Bane uh, wasn't canon anymore until we actually heard about it in Clone Wars, the TV show. Yeah. And yeah, I mean, we we because we have the the canon purge introduced a lot of really complicated things because technically, I mean, the prequels are pre 2014, but those are always going to be canon no matter what. It also introduced the rule of two, which is the which is a rule presented in one of the Legends novels. So it canonized what's in the Legends novels. And they continue to pull things from the Legends novels into modern canon as well. So I can definitely see how that's confusing. You yeah. make it sound like uh, any Star Wars story that's that makes sense or that sounds really good is are not canon at all. No, not at all. My favorite Star Wars story is oh. canon. I mean, there's there's great Legends books out there, which I still love. Uh, I mean, there's Darth Revan book out there in Legends. There's the Bane trilogy, which is so cool. Darth Plagueis. There's a great novel on Darth Plagueis that I love. Uh, those aren't canon, though, but 
but there's also some great canon books, Dark Disciple being one of them. I love Dark Disciple. Lost Stars is another great one. These, I mean, there's a lot of really great stories out there from a canon perspective, and they're coming out with even more. Are these books or are these uh, comic books or shows? What- oh, yeah, th- those are books, but they, they've also got two. There's a bunch of really great comics as well. Darth Vader's got a great run. JR, I think you've yeah, recently I'm, I, read I've that. Yeah, um, I'm reading it. I'm going to save it for my fanboy. That's canon. So, And there's a, there's a lot of really cool stuff in the, that they're doing in the comics as well, which I won't get into. I think because I, I want to get into our, our actual discussion questions here. <laughs> uh, finally. So after all this time of setting this up, we're finally going to actually get to talk about some of these things and your grievances that you might have with these films. One of the things about the prequels that we have the opportunity to explore, as Jared talked about, was this world building aspect, new world species, concepts, ideas, events. Um, midi-chlorians were introduced in this. We get uh, we travel to new planets like Coruscant, Geonosis, Kamino, Utapau. There's a lot of world building that happens across all three of these films. So, gee, haven't heard from you in a little while. What about this word for you? What didn't? What didn't you like about it? Um, did you feel like anything was covered that wasn't necessary? Or did you feel like there were things that were missing? Well, it. I mean... I, I, I've never had a problem with the world building. I've never had a problem with the basic outline of the story of, of these movies. In, in fact, I, I'm, uh, I try to be of the opinion that there is no bad story that is greenlit in, in Hollywood, that, that, that it was greenlit because it was interesting. The problems just tend to arise when a full screenplay gets written or the director gets hold of screenplay or the editor messes things up in the editing room. I don't know. Uh, like th- there, there's something that goes from this is a good story idea to why was that a terrible movie? And it wasn't the original story idea. Right. Um, I, I think George Lucas's basic story for these three movies is, is brilliant. It's wonderful. It's how it's delivered to us that I have issues. And I, you know, the world building is perfectly acceptable. I like world building as well. I've rarely encountered a scenario where the world building is not satisfactory. Uh, Sometimes I feel that the world building becomes more important to certain creators than the characters. Yeah. And while I actually can't necessarily make a case for that here, I do think there is a severe mishandling of the characters uh, after episode one. Now, you know, you asked JR, you know, what, what did this look like for you revisiting it and whatnot? Uh, you know, I... I wanted to come into these movies with a fresh perspective, uh, very open to, you know, looking at them differently. And I think what I found was that, uh, well, the first movie, episode one, I actually really enjoy. I think it's actually a, a pretty solid movie. It's not a great movie. But I think it's a pretty solid movie. I think uh, Liam Neeson carries it beautifully. Uh, Liam Neeson's one of those actors who, you know, they, they always said in like Star Trek, Patrick Stewart could utter a bad line. Well, you know, you give him, you could give him (laughs) bad dialogue. It didn't matter. He still, you know, it still sounded like good dialogue just because of the way he, he delivered it. Uh, Liam Neeson (laughs) is one of those actors. Liam Uh, Neeson. He, you know, he, he had, uh, an, an amalgam of terrible dialogue from Mr. Lucas. And yet he delivered it in a way that I believed every time. 
Uh, he carried himself in a way that I believed every time. And I think he really elevated the other characters that I that I did enjoy. I, I enjoyed Anakin in that movie. I, I liked Padme in that movie. I, in fact, I, I really was taken by the genesis of their relationship in that film. The, uh, the brief scene, which was, in my opinion, the best tender moment between them in the entire trilogy. He asks if she's an angel and she she's clearly taken by this like cougar um she's clearly (laughs) (laughs) taken by these words and and so you're a funny little boy and they kind of connect there and and you see a logical organic uh genesis to that relationship like i sat there thinking okay i can believe this goes somewhere i thought jake lloyd was fine he gets a lot of a lot of uh heat for his i am it is jake lloyd right Yes. Yeah, I thought he was fine. He gets a lot of heat for it, but you know what? He he portrayed a young boy who is uh, very confident. I I thought this was the Anakin that I had in mind that was going to grow up to be Darth Vader. He was confident. He you know he just called this older girl uh, an, an angel and was like, yeah, I'm there. Um, he you know <laughs> during the pod racing scene, there's this excellent scene where something come becomes unhinged. And he's spinning around like crazy and he uses a magnet to reattach something. And he's completely cool and collected the entire time. And uh, I, I was sitting here going, okay, this, this is, this is the kid who's going to become this incredible, you know, warrior Jedi knight and eventually become Darth Vader. Uh, And, and I always believed uh, Liam Neeson was the strongest actor in this trilogy uh because of the way he carried himself because of the way he carried his faith in anakin because of the way he you know he really just oozes what it is to be a jedi knight and there's you know the fact that he even looks like jesus really (laughs) you know really adds to it because he really adds to it because he he has this dedication i believe you told me one time it's just dedication to the force and to the light side and to doing right on on it and and yeah episode one i found to be a very exciting working film even you know i i wasn't aware but apparently padme gets a lot of heat uh, in this trilogy, but you know, I, I thought it was really cool that, you know, she was, she had a decoy for a while and then she comes out and says, this is my decoy. I'm the queen. Uh, and then said queen goes into battle herself. That was fantastic. Yeah, it, it was. And then you have the, the duel, uh, at the end, the, the duel of fates, yep. um, which Dave Filoni, the, the, uh, showrunner of Clone Wars, said was the most important moment in the trilogy. And I'm going to butcher this, but could you briefly explain why he said that so I don't mess anything up? <laughs> <laughs> well, so it's it's the duel of the fates, right? Mm-hmm. Um, literally, I mean, for the longest time, I took it as one thing, but then Dave Filoni blew everybody's mind out of the water. And it's the duel of the fates, meaning which one of these people is going to be Anakin Skywalker's master. And Anakin is a kid that is born fatherless. He's a virgin birth. He is, he has no father. And when Qui-Gon happened upon him, he became that father figure for him, that strong, 
unwavering father figure, unwavering until Darth Maul killed him. But in that fight, Duel of the Fates, it was saying, okay, this is one path that he could take being trained under his new father figure, Qui-Gon Jinn, or be trained under a brother figure that he would find in Obi-Wan Kenobi. Now, when he goes under this brother figure of Obi-Wan Kenobi, Anakin Skywalker is still technically fatherless. He's still going to be seeking that father figure out, and he finds that father figure in Palpatine. So that was what, if I'm remembering it correctly, that's what Dave Filoni was going for there. Yeah, and I think I think that works in this movie. I think it falls apart later on, but I do think that works in this movie, this idea that uh, these two Jedi warriors, um, one of them may not make it out. One of them doesn't make it out. And, you know, that's going to be that's going to be the path that Anakin takes after the fact. It was, I guess, in, in part, that's why it's so scary. Did, did, did anyone feel like this kind of suspense around it? Like there's this like you're oh, afraid sure. someone doesn't make it out and you're hoping the right person does make it out. And they build up the tension so incredibly well, too. Like when they're they're fighting back and forth and then you see Maul c- constantly isolating one of them from the other one so from the other both. yes and then you get that the the final instance of that when they're in the the rayfield hallway when they are just being split split apart like you have maul in one section and then you have qui-gon jen and then a few sections back you finally have obi-wan kenobi and i loved that moment i loved the moment where qui-gon when they're separate when he's separated from maul he bows down and just meditates Whereas Maul is pacing back and forth angrily, which is such a great juxtaposition between the Sith and the Jedi. Well, I think that that scene is brilliant because of that, because not only does Qui-Gon sit down and meditate, Obi-Wan sits there and watches both of them. He watches the fight. And if you pay attention, he's the first one to know the shield's going to drop. So it's kind of Obi-Wan learning from his master by using the Force. But he's also observing the fight, which, let's be honest, Sith are all about the fight. He's learning from both of them as they go along this fight. He's taking in what his master has taught him, but he's also learning in the moment. Obviously. <laughs> I think the whole battle is is probably my favorite of the the lightsaber duels in the, the prequel trilogy. Uh, the others didn't quite... I felt they were a little too cluttered. I felt emotionally some of them were unearned. And I thought some of the overabundance of special effects was kind of an assault on my senses. This one, I thought, escalated what we had seen before just appropriately and raised the stakes to a point where I felt that if we lose someone here, it's going to change the course of the way history falls. And I was right. It had a lot of weight to it, and you could tell that it had a lot of weight to it. I mean, call it, I mean, it was it was a literal symphony of everything coming at you and telling you this is important between the visuals, the the emotions that you see on Qui-Gon and Obi-Wan's face, the cuts to Anakin, the cuts to Padme. All these all these things are building up and then you combine that with john williams music on top of that 
So, Dave, I have a question for you. Yeah. Since we're talking about discussions and fate here, do you think if Qui-Gon was the one who walked away from that fight, Anakin would have become Vader? Here we go. I'll, I'll give you two different answers here. In my head canon, he would have still made his way over to the dark side. Uh, but when I actually sit down and search your feelings. Yes, search my feelings and look at everything. I, I honestly I honestly go back and forth on this question more frequently than I would care to admit, because it's it's tough because at, on some level, I feel like Palpatine would have still found a way to exploit Anakin, but at the same time, would he have been able to exploit him as effectively had he not been a father figure to him? Because Anakin would have had Qui-Gon not requiring that father figure. But in my mind, Anakin still would have latched on to Padme after losing his mother. And that could have been something that Palpatine could have leveraged to save Padme and bring him over to the dark side. I don't think it would have been as easy if Qui-Gon had lived. Now we're getting into the meat of this podcast. Uh, well, <laughs> it's, you know, so Anakin's turn isn't in episode one. Episode one, you know, episode one almost feels detached from the other two. It's the longest time frame, like the longest break yeah. that we get. Yeah. And you know my my enjoyment for episode one. You know, you mentioned uh, some other things like outdated CG and whatnot, and I I gotta I have to disagree here. Well, not maybe not outdated, but bad CG. I I call it outdated. Um, I don't think we can. You know, movies are products made for the time, right? Right. Yeah. And and at this point in time, they did a very a good job with with the CG effects uh, that they were pushing at the time. Now. I don't like the fact that this movie is one of the prime reasons that we have an overabundance of CG used as a catch-all effects tool. But that's another that's another conversation entirely. Um, but what we get out of this movie, CG-wise, I thought was actually very fine. And it doesn't bother me. It doesn't bother me. Because, you know, films made for their time are things that excite me, you know? I'm I'm looking at the effects. I'm looking at CG. What was groundbreaking at the time, and it still holds up to tell the story that it wants to tell. There, there's there's nothing that I, I I feel so egregious about it that uh, it turns me off. Uh, you know, sometimes practical effects don't age very well either. Okay, fine, whatever. They may have been groundbreaking at the time. They may look dated, but they were they were excellent for the time. And I feel the same way about the CG here. It works. The special effects work. I think that's a very moot topic, given how long ago this movie was made. And we, you know, just make us feel old. This movie is over 20 years old. So. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And it, it should be noted, too, that, yeah, there was a lot of CG, but the Phantom Menace had the largest scale uh, miniatures. It has like the world record for most miniatures in a movie. Uh, what were the miniatures used in this film? Uh, it was in the pod, pod race, pod race at the pod race. Let me say pod race again. Pod race, pod race, pod race, pod race. Yes. Um, you sound like, and the, you sound like Anakin in episode two at the very beginning. Yes, master. Yes, <laughs> master. 
Yes, master. Yeah. I, I, I love I love I love Attack of the Clones, but I'll get there. But yeah, the the Phantom Menace has some record for most miniatures in in a movie, mostly due to the pod racing scene. The entire stadium and whatnot is all miniatures. I was not aware of that. That's interesting. Yeah. A lot of people get wrapped up in the CG of these movies and they they, they did use a lot of practical and they use a lot of miniatures. Yes, they did. Uh, the the animatronics on various aliens are very impressive. I enjoyed mm-hmm. that. You know, there's plenty of droids uh, other than the battle droids that are, you know, still practical. I think the experiment that was uh, Jar Jar Binks in terms of not the character, but in terms of execution, uh, still needed some kinks worked out even at the time. But it was a springboard for other things like, say, Gollum or uh, right. you know full on cg characters that are even human quite frankly but uh, yeah no i i i think the effects work you know it's it's not always about looking realistic it's about looking special there's a special and special effects let's remember that <laughs> let's also remember that this is a space opera yeah yeah it <laughs> it i mean if it looks over the top okay it looks over the top but it it it's um yeah, I, I, I appreciate the effect work in this just from the standpoint that it is older um, and it, it looks like a product of its time. Speaking of pod race, I want to jump in because I have I, I'm this might be one of my favorite ones out of the three, but I have one little nitpick moment that I I feel like should have been addressed okay. in the movie, and that is that. This kid's midichlorians are out of the scale. He's very sensitive with the force. And we didn't get any indication of that other than a blood test. So what I think should have been inserted, and personally, I think it should have been inserted in the pod race, is a a sense of the force. And I will use the example of Luke blowing up the Death Star in the first, uh, in the first Star Wars, New Hope. I think something should have, and uh, actually, I know the exact moment. I think when Sebulba's pod is blowing up, I think a an engine or whatnot should have been on route to hit Anakin, and him just instinctively moving out of the way before it hits him, not without even looking back, just have moved out of the way. And I think that really would have sold the force connection that this kid knows he's he's precognitive with the force that's my only really big flaw with the movie do you listen to my phantom menace episode on pizza and parsecs i didn't <laughs> no i really didn't <laughs> i talked i actually share that opinion that i feel like the the purpose of the pod race scene and yes to gj's point you do see him exceptionally focused right. in those moments which, I mean, that's a sure that's a sign of him uh, being forced, a great pilot, forced, you know, you know, having have being attuned into something. Right. But I the the purpose of the pod race is no other human can pod race, mm-hmm. period. The reason that he can do it is because of his force abilities. And I, I still like the pod race. I think it's very entertaining. I mean, that's George Lucas's roots are in filming races right and in, in, in film school that's how he first was learning how to 
um, how to, how to, how to shoot, how to direct. And you see, you look back on some of the footage from his film school days, filming race cars, exactly the same thing that you see in the Phantom Menace, which, yeah, it's pretty, but I would have loved to see some sort of forcibility or some sort of force sensitivity mm-hmm. in even, even like an accidental, like, I, oh, you can't reach a button or something like that. And somehow he manages to flip it like Broom Boy did in <laughs> later <laughs> on. Broom Boy. Everybody knows who Broom Boy is that if you're a Star <laughs> Wars fan. That's a great description. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I'll, I'll be, I'll play Devil's Advocate. Didn't bother me at all. Because, again, the Anakin we see in. The Phantom Menace is so, like Dave said, singularly focused, and he has this very confident swagger to him, even at such a young age. I'm, I was just impressed with the the assertion that this was the the boy that would become the great Jedi Knight, Anakin Skywalker, and eventually fall. It it, it was adding up in this movie. I think, Jr. To your point, there are more mistakes seen in the next two movies regarding his great Jedi power and and whatnot. I actually see I, I feel like I should have gotten more in the next couple of movies and I see less of it there. He's so much older at that point. And instead we we just kind of get this this whiny adolescent, not the Jedi warrior we had probably all built up in our heads based on what we heard from the original trilogy, which I guess is a good segue into to episode two here. Dave, JR mentioned that you told him if we don't like Anakin Skywalker in episode two, good, we're not supposed to. I have a hard time buying that. Can you Agreed. elaborate? Agreed. Could, could you elaborate, please? Yes, I will elaborate. And when I say you're not supposed to like him, you're you're not supposed to like the direction that he's going in. As a character, I think you're still supposed he's supposed to be, still be a sympathetic hero type character in Attack of the Clones. One of the things that I just love in general about Attack of the Clones is that's when you really start to see the machinations of Palpatine, how he's setting him up and he's falling right into those places. And you hate that. That's kind of what I was referring to when I said you don't like him because he's falling into those traps. I didn't mean you shouldn't like him as a character himself. It's the road that he's going down that you can kind of see. And that's kind of what the entire purpose of Attack of the Clones is, is it's this noir film from from both Kenobi, from Kenobi's perspective. And then it's also this tragic, uh, bittersweet story of Anakin's finally getting what he wants because that's what Palpatine kind of set up for him. I didn't like Anakin mainly because he kept giving Padme all these red flags. Go on. I see where she's going. (laughs) Well, I mean, think about it. Uh, One of the first things uh, Anakin says to Padme in years uh, after years that they haven't seen each other was us. You're still just as beautiful as I dreamed of you or something. You're still in my dreams. And that just kind of such a creeper. <laughs> he really okay. is. Like, somebody needs to put a bill on this dude. He's a creeper. 
<laughs> Dave, I see the point you're trying to make by Palpatine's influences, but dude, he could learn to got he probably learned half his moves from what's his name from Family Guy. I got a popsicle for you. <laughs> so two points I'll make there. Number one, do you think Harrison Ford is creepy towards Carrie Fisher? Two? Well, no, I think, in fact, I she think he's a creepy. Okay, may I? May I? Yeah. Please, please. I think Harrison Ford is such a drastically different type of character that that kind of swagger that he's he, that kind of non innocent swagger that he's exuding works in his head. And and that's it's a very different type of aggression towards Leia, whereas what we see in Anakin, we see. Uh, a lot of uh, physical heart palpitations, uh, <laughs> a lot of grinning behind her back. I mean, she even says at one point, don't Stop. look at me. Yeah. And Stop. she says, why? And he says, why? And she says, because it makes me uncomfortable. And she walks away and he has this grin on him. And I'm like, please stop. Uh, See, I put that in the same boat as when when solo is talking with carrie fisher and she's like let go of me she's like and he says why he's like you're hurting me uh you know if you think that's creepy harrison four comes back with well i'm sorry princess and starts gently stroking your hand i I don't see a a big difference between the two the biggest difference the biggest difference is because is that the romance that leia and han have are based on like the 1920s bickering couple act popular at the time Anakin and Padme is more of a courtly Renaissance era love. To be fair, <laughs> I didn't like that scene in Empire either. Yeah. If we're going to go there, I, 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 I've always had problems with that anyway. And if we're going to get into it, into the romance such as it is between Anakin and Padme, I have a question. Is it possible, Dave, that Padme only fell in love with Anakin because she felt sorry for him after he lost her mother, his his mother. <laughs> well, I mean, you know, it's easy to get confused. I mean, okay, she's completely not into him for the first half of the movie. Has passing uh, concern for him, you know, when he's having these nightmares and whatnot. And it's only after it's only after his mother dies that she decides that. She wants. She would love to pursue a, a romantic relationship with him, and I, I'm sitting here going, "Well, that's convenient timing." Well, see, I have a different take on this. Like, like I previously mentioned, this kid is so in tune with the Force. And, uh. and no, 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 no. I know, I know that grin. Listen, because he says Force only works on the weak-minded. That's why Padme does not fall for him at first. But once his mother dies, she lets her guard down. And I think it's happening. I think he's using the force subconsciously. He's so like putting his feelings on her that once she lets her guard down, it's easier. I know what you're getting at. Susceptible. She's more susceptible. I'm not saying I'm not saying he's deliberately doing it. But there are there are cases that make me go. Well, no, and I don't I don't subscribe to that either. I think honestly, I think that's just an excuse for bad writing. No, I don't think that's there there's nothing to suggest that in there. Which brings me to other things. There's there's hardly anything to suggest that 
you know, Palpatine is pulling too many strings on Anakin right now. Palpatine is hardly in this movie talking to Anakin, and, and, and which is another issue I have. You know, we talk about how he's being swayed one way or the next. I mean, can we say for certain that Palpatine was the one uh, giving him these nightmares? I, he, he's just not present enough in Anakin's life for me to buy that he's the one uh, helping turn the tide here. It, there's just not enough there. And and what's more concerning is George Lucas's vision for Anakin Skywalker. I would really like to know what his thought process was here. Bear with me for a second. What if Anakin was portrayed as this swell guy? He walks in the room. He's actually very, you know, obedient with Obi-Wan. He isn't, he isn't like this adolescent who keeps talking back. Uh, he's very likable. I mean, he comes in the room and and Padme is the one who swoons over him instead. We sit there and we think to ourselves, wow, this guy is 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 incredible. We we see him use more force powers and, and and whatnot and that would help us think man how is someone like this possibly going to fall making it when he does fall far more dramatic and far more painful because as it stands as i watched attack of the clones i just sat there going can someone shove a lightsaber down this guy's throat because he is terrible <laughs> he is awful this is not the same kid who exuded this this like this swaggering confidence. He has this just adolescent, annoying confidence. He talks back to his master. He's not very likable. Uh, Palpatine oh. isn't even around enough to watch him pull the strings here. And Hayden Christensen needs to go back to school. There's just nothing here that makes me care whether or not he's he's going to be the person that becomes Darth Vader. Certainly not the person who's become, going to become this great Jedi Knight. He doesn't strike me as a great Jedi anything. Now, now this is podcasting. Uh, gee, I, I think I hear Dave fuming. <laughs> <laughs> Dave, are we going down a path you can't follow? You're breaking my heart. <laughs> <laughs> we'll get there, but I mean, I'm just... <laughs> There, there's just there's nothing about him I find likable. There's nothing about him that I'm rooting for. It, it's almost too obvious to me that he's going down the wrong path, and because of that, be, because and I know where it goes. Because of that, there's just no drama, no no tension there for me to engage with. Couldn't the, couldn't the same thing be said? Like you know, no tension, no drama. You know where he's going. Same could be said with any movie setting up Darth Vader, though, right? Yeah, but. This is almost just giving up. See, I, oh. I, 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 no, 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 it, it, it's, this is just, you know, you could have, you could have tried in, in my opinion. Now I will say mm. this, the, the Anakin in the next movie is a little closer to what I wanted in this movie, but there's nothing here that makes me root for him. And, and I just want to, what, what is there to root for here? I've lost a friend today. <laughs> <laughs> Time. <laughs> you were like right, brother today. One forty-four, August thirtieth. <laughs> you were the chosen one. Uh, no, I want to bring up a point that we talked about in I think it was Wrath of Khan that once once a character is built up so much to watch him fall is just it's it's heartbreaking and you want to see that build up again. You want to, you want them to redeem themselves. 
And I think that's what should have happened with with Vader, because, I mean, let's be honest, we all know he saves Luke in the last movie. So why not have him be this great Jedi that is on the right path and make the fall in three that much more dramatic or heartbreaking, like actually because, heartbreaking instead like, of having a character say it like I'm not, I'm not because in this movie, I'm like, okay, let's hurry up. Put the suit on him. <laughs> <sighs> and I know I'm saying this knowing that we have a bunch of clone war stuff going on in between here. I get that, but it wasn't, it wasn't Dave Filoni's job to improve these movies. It was George Lucas's no. job to make sure they work. And for me, they're not working. Collecting. (laughs) (laughs) Composing. Dave, Dave, I I say this in all due respect. I'm not trying to start an argument here. I'm just explaining why the movies do not work for me. And that seems like a good place to hit the pause button for this here episode. Will Dave valiantly continue to advocate for the prequels? Will negotiations be short? Or against all odds, will the drifters remain friends and come in for another happy landing? Yusa have to stay tuned for the bomb bag conclusion of our Star Wars prequel discussion next time on The Drift Space. In the meantime, make sure you check out our show on all of your favorite podcatchers, and you can find those at bit.ly backslash TDS links, and make sure you're hitting us up on our socials, the Facebooks, the Instagrams, and the Twitters at The Drift Space. Got lots of fun stuff on there. Stay tuned, folks. Catch you guys next time. <laughs>